You're listening to Travel Tales with Fergal. Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to Season 3 of the Travel Tales with Fergal podcast. The podcast is a very simple premise where I chat to a special guest every Tuesday where I ask for five trips or places that most influenced or impressed them. My guests come from all walks of life with one thing in common. They all have great travel stories. What I enjoy most about doing this podcast is that I get to meet people like my next guest, Keith Barry, and hopefully reveal another side of their personality to you. You know, Keith Barry is one of the world's leading TV hypnotists, mentalists and brain hackers. With skills that have been showcased in over 40 international television shows, Keith has mastered the ability to hack into people's minds and rewire their subconscious. He's now just released his first book, Brain Hacks, where he reveals a variety of techniques that help develop mental toughness subconsciously. We have a great chat today about his career and about his favourite places to travel to. you're very welcome to the podcast it's great to see you yeah thanks for having me good to see you as well yeah so your book is out and it's going really well I was just in Eason's there yesterday and it was all over the shop you're way up in the yeah. chat aren't you over the top yeah it's exciting it's exciting I went in at number three in the non-fiction paperback and bookstation just texted me yesterday say I'm number one in their store so it's going up the ranks it seems and uh and I know it's uh, nicely displayed in Easton's people have been texting me so yeah I mean look for the first book out I'm very happy with that but I'm terrible I'm, I'm looking at all my team and everybody else going okay but we need number one like you know number three why is everybody so excited number three we need number one so look I do jest a little bit of course uh, but look it's exciting it's great to have the book out there and you know it's predominantly a self-help book so if you want to increase your positivity and reduce your anxiety and stress there's a lot of techniques in the book you know yeah, and it's called Brain Hacks. Were you always going to write this or did COVID lockdown help you, give you the time? Because you are I know you're going a million miles an hour. Yeah, I am going a million miles an hour all the time. But I've still been going a million miles an hour through COVID. I suppose for me, I sat down, I spoke to a few people years ago, different publishers and stuff about writing a book. So that's going back 10 years. So I had the idea of a book at least 10 years ago. And then I just got busy. And I think it was just... When the pandemic hit initially, so everybody had that kind of down period for a second, just trying to figure stuff out. Um, now, I pivoted online very quickly, but ultimately in the first week or two, my wife just kept saying to me, you got to write the book. Now's the time to write the book, write the book. So then I started writing the book and then I got the, the publishing deal and then I got really busy online. So then all of a sudden I was maxed out. We were talking off air about the fact that I'm maxed out now again. But look, I kind of live for that. Um, I live my life at a million miles an hour. I don't make any excuses for it. I love it that way. Um, if ultimately that takes away a couple of years of my life at the tail end of it, so be it. I've lived it to the max all the way down the line. So, uh, so yeah, that's how it happened. My wife is predominantly to blame for the book getting written because she just uh, badgered me into it, I think. But, uh, but in a good way, it's out there now and I'm very happy for it to, to be out in the world, you know. I became really aware actually how busy you were during lockdown because... Um, I have a comedy club in Clamel and it was closed obviously during COVID. Yeah. So then I started doing um, online comedy shows for you know Christmas comedy Christmas parties for yeah. companies and the amount of companies that I was dealing with 
that were telling me that, you know, oh, yeah, we were, Keith Barry was on last week or he's on next week. So yeah. you really went, I mean, were you online as much? Did that happen just through COVID? You just went. Yeah, it was just, it's just, I mean, honestly, some people will tell a tale of the fact that they were online before COVID, but I don't think anybody was really online before COVID. Let's be honest about it. So for me, uh, so I did two things, two strategies, really. So I attacked LinkedIn. I never really attacked LinkedIn or give it any focus. So I attacked LinkedIn and then I attacked online, but I pivoted online very early. So uh, that was beneficial. Uh, and then we spent the summer sending out electronic press kits and packs and all that kind of stuff, just letting people know that I was online. And like it was a slow burn. But then, as you mentioned, towards the end of last year, we were doing some days like we were doing minimum three gigs a day. But then some days we were doing seven gigs a day. So I was getting like going to bed at 12 at night and get back up at 3 a.m. to do a gig and then get a couple of hours sleep and then get back up at 8 a.m. doing another gig because we we're doing them all over the world, you know. Um, and and it's still very busy now, not quite as busy just yet, but I think that's because everybody's waiting to see, well, can we have a an in-person party or can we not? But I've just found the last couple of days, many companies, not all companies, but many companies have decided that they are actually just going to go online. So all of a sudden, the, the emails have lit up again. So I'm almost a bit nervous about December this year. Am I going to go back to doing three to seven gigs a day, which is fantastic for business? But I have to tell you, like... That'll uh, take its toll on you after a while, you know. You mentioned to me you're like an 18 or a day person. So you're one of those people like Maggie Thatcher that doesn't need much sleep. Yeah, I think about Maggie, Maggie Thatcher quite a bit, actually, fully enough. And, you know, a lot of people say that they don't need much sleep. But then the science says the opposite, right? So we know that. And genetically, most people do need, actually, because uh, I've studied sleep. So m- most people need seven hours sleep. It's not eight. So the optimum level of sleep is actually seven hours of sleep, sleep scientifically proven. Um, for me, again, uh, like I probably like inherently need seven hours of sleep, but I don't feel that I, I'm in any way less productive if, I, if I'm on five hours for a period of time or six hours. So I think generally speaking, my sleep cycle is six hours. Um, but I can reduce that down to, believe it or not, four or five hours for, for about a month. Uh, and then I will burn out. So like, anybody will burn out if you go longer than that. Um, but, but I have learned in between events and gigs to just jump. Off. I've got a seat over there in the corner of the room. So I'll just jump into that, put on a blindfold, put on binaural beats and get a 15 minute power nap. Now, a 15 minute power nap to me, honestly, is like a full eight hour sleep. If I do it right, if I, get, if I go into a real deep sleep for that 15 minutes, that's like a full eight hours to me. That can energize me for a whole day. Um, but right now, at this moment in time, I've got the book. I've got press for the book. I've got my tour coming up. I've got other top secret projects that, you know, in my world, I'm not allowed to talk about. And then I've got all these different corporates and multinational events that I'm performing and presenting online. Like I mentioned, I've got one at four o'clock today and I've got another one at midnight tonight. So yeah, right now I'm on about an 18 hour day. Uh, I always take time to spend time with my family. So I'll always take like an hour a day and then time at the weekends. Uh, But other than that, yeah, fully all in, maxed out, um, which is the way I like it, to be honest. And you know, when I read about you and particularly with your book and other stuff I've read, I'd say you're more of a scientist. Like people sometimes, I'd say people don't know that, like as in, you um, are a very deep thinker. You're, you know, very much talking about the unconscious mind and how to control that. And your book is very much about that. But I would say you're very much a scientist, aren't you? Well, I, well, that's what I am first and foremost. So many people wouldn't know. I graduated from UCG in the day, which is NUIG now, with a BSc uh, and predominantly in chemistry. So I have an honors uh, science degree, and uh, and weirdly, I, at the time. 
which was 98. Uh, when I graduated, I basically graduated with the top marks that anybody had ever gotten for uh, Bachelor of Science in uh, UCG. So they sent me a, uh, I don't even talk about this very much, but they sent me uh, a frame with a certificate in it and a 50 pound check they sent me, uh, which a lot of people said, did you frame the check? I'm like, no, I was a broke student. I yeah. cashed the check there and then. Yeah, exactly. uh, so, so yeah, but that's a long time ago. But I think that did kind of instill in me the science mindset. So I examine everything that I do from a scientific background, which I think is massively beneficial. Uh, so obviously there's a lot of different aspects to what I do. So I'm a mentalist, I'm a magician, I'm a hypnotist. I'm also a mind coach, an executive coach. I do a lot of things. And some people will say, well, don't you feel like you do too much? Well, no, because I love the variety of it all. I love helping people and assist, assisting people to get over you know, fears and phobias and anxiety and stress and all that kind of stuff. But equally, in measure, I love being on a stage. It's in my DNA to be on a stage and entertain people. So uh, hence, you need 18-hour days to do all of these different things, you know? It's funny because I, I read somewhere you saying that you that's your first thing, being on the stage rather than, say, the, the scientist. Because I see you as you're a scientist, but you love the you love the buzz of the stage. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, that's why I left science. You know, I'm a cosmetic scientist by trade. So I used to invent women's makeup for Oriflame, uh, which is a Swedish cosmetics firm. But, you know, in my heart, I'm an entertainer. And that's what I love to do predominantly above everything else. Uh, and then I think that's probably why I wrote the book as well, because... I decided to bring my clientele base down to just five people at any one time. So I used to I used to have a client base of up to 100 people that I would see. Uh, but I've just distilled that down to just five people at any one time. So therefore, I thought, well, you know, if I can't share my techniques and can't help people in person or virtually, then the best bet is to put it out as a book, you know. And famously, Keith Earls was on um, the Late Show a few weeks ago and he mentioned before you working with him. He came to you then, like he, he, he said you changed him completely. Yeah, so I've been in and out of the IRFU camp for years now. Uh, and again, a lot of my work is kind of top secret. So people wouldn't even know that I've been in and out of that camp for a good few years. I've been going in and out. And yeah, I mean, look. Earls, he came to me and, he, you know, and I sat down with him and I won't go into detail about what we spoke about. But ultimately, um, I know he's comfortable with me sharing this, that, you know, I said, look, we've got to set a goal for you. Because at the time, he wasn't playing great. People forget there was actually a period of time when Keith Earls actually didn't play great. Everybody's kind of forgotten that now uh, because he's been so consistent in the last few years. So ultimately, he came to me. He wasn't playing great. And I said, look, but we've got to set a target for you. So I called him targets and not goals. So I said, okay, what target do you want to set? And he said, players, player of the year. He was very definitive, actually, in what he wanted. So, um, so yeah, I used my strategies that I used to hack into his subconscious brain and allow him to hack his own subconscious brain. I gave him a variety of tools and techniques in order to be um, productive and take action, excuse me, towards becoming players, player of the year. And then a year later, he won it. Um, and then the press conference, they asked him what was the difference and he mentioned me uh, and now I think a couple of years later he's even more comfortable with talking about that and then I've worked with Rory Best as well um, a lot over the years um, and then some other rugby players who aren't comfortable with me mentioning their names um, which is fine but ultimately yeah it was great just to work with Earlsey because he's so focused and so driven and an amazing talent uh, and I think I just unlocked a little part of his brain that needed to be unlocked and then he's been playing consistently well for the past couple of years you know when reading your book and other things that you've written about, I can see where, you know, you talk about positivity and it's, you're not born with it, that you can learn it. 
or confidence can be mm. something that you can learn or you know in the importance of intent you know and i i can see how all those things for a sports person or a business person is so applicable well you know we talk about intent you know a lot of people say intentions don't matter. It's action that matters. But actually, that's wrong. You have to have the correct intention first and then couple it with, and I, I say, massive action all the time. So for me, people don't even know what their intentions are most of the time. Even if they're high-end, uh, performing, high-performing executives, a lot of them don't know what their intentions are. So you've got to grab a piece of paper or a whiteboard and you've got to write these things down to define them because your intentions will change over time too. So unless you're crystal clear on what your, what your intentions are, then your pathway to success is going to be riddled with obstacles. So for me, you know, all our macro intentions should be the same and our macro intention should be to engage in activities and behaviors that positively affect both you and the people in your bubble. And that's it. That should be a macro intention. All our macro intentions should be the same. But then our micro intentions are going to be all different from person to person. So some people might intend, might want to intend to be a better father day to day because your intentions are what you should live by on a daily basis. So for me, I intend to be a better performer. I intend to be a better father. I intend to be a better husband. They're my intentions that I've got written down and defined right now, but they'll change over time. So it's so important that you define your intentions because it's only if you have them defined, then can you live by them, you know? We haven't asked you about a location yet, but there's one I want to ask you about first because yeah. you mentioned a hotel. It was one of my favorite hotels in the country. And I think you go there regularly. Is the Dury Nan Hotel? Am I right? Oh, yeah. Well, that's interesting now, yeah, because... Um, you know, I think it was probably laid derelict for a couple of years uh, and people had gone there before and spoken very well about it. And yes, yeah, so the Derry Nan Hotel is definitely one of my favorite spots to go to. So that's interesting that you're starting there. Yeah, yeah, because it's just I always recommend it to people, but I'm kind of really kind of afraid because it's kind of got, um, I don't know, it's got a 70s vibe and it's got an outdoor yeah. pool, but I just love it. It's got a, it's got a magic, hasn't it? I'll tell you my connection there. So there's a good friend of mine who runs the Derry Nan Hotel, Martin McCormick. And since he took it over, it's got a real level of vibrancy about it. Um, there's a lot of people starting to go there now. And dare I say it, I do believe in kind of mid next year, that's going to be the go-to hotel in Ireland because I know there's certain levels of change happening down there, positive change happening in the hotel. Uh, and I love it for a couple of different reasons. So there's a few places, and I know we'll talk about other places in a minute, but there's a few places in Ireland that are truly my happy place, right? That's one of them. Uh, so the hotel is fantastic, but my really, really happy place is Carol's Cove down there. So you can walk to Carol's Cove from the Derry Nan Hotel, and there's just something magical about that cove. I don't know what it is. Um, you know, it's like it's like it could actually just be anywhere in the world, that little cove, because it's it's got coral. And, and what people don't probably realize about me, I'm a complete outdoors person, right? I'm outdoors, outdoors, outdoors. So any chance I get, I'm snorkeling, I'm swimming, I'm foraging, I'm fishing. I am out that door, I can tell you, right? Rain, hail, sleet, snow, it doesn't matter to me. So I love snorkeling in Carol's Cove. It's got some of the best snorkeling in Ireland. For anybody who's into snorkeling, if you haven't snorkeled down there, you got to go down there. Um, uh, and I've got an amazing friend down there now, Vincent Highland, Vinny. And Vinny would be an amazing person for you to get on this podcast. So Vinny is one of Ireland's uh, fantastic, um, uh, I don't know, marine underwater cameraman. I don't know if he's, uh, he'll have to tell you himself whether he's a biologist or not, but he's like a marine biologist. That's what I would call him, whether he's actually that or not, I don't know. But he's had his own TV show on RTE um, and a fascinating character, but he knows all about nature and the sea. 
Um, so he guided me through there um, snorkeling with my daughter. And like we were doing some amazing things. Like we were swimming with, um, you know, compass jellyfish. You've got to be careful of those. They'll give you a right sting. Um, but then when I, because I'm fishing, I love fishing. And I'm looking down, I'm looking at like giant wrass and cod and everything. Amazing snorkeling. But then coupled with that, on the other side, you got Derrynan Beach. So I literally drove down to Derrynan Hotel only a few weeks back. I'm going to say like six weeks back. I drove down there just for one night. So that's like a six hour drive for me, right from where I live. Six hours down. And then myself, Vinny and my best friend, Al, we went out at 10 p.m. at night down to Derrynan Beach. And we went out the pitch dark. And when we walked out, it was there. When I say it, the plankton, the bioluminescent plankton. And when we walked out, our feet started to glow like Avatar, uh, like the movie Avatar, where we were entering the sea. And then when we went in, it started splashing around. It just started glowing everywhere. The most magical experience ever. Um, and then back to the hotel. So I fish. I shouldn't really say this because I should protect my fishing spots. But anyway, I'm going to say it anyway because I know it's too dangerous. Most people won't do it. At the front of Derrynan Hotel, you'll know where I'm talking about. There's a rocky outcrop there. And it's difficult to kind of clamber out on. It's dangerous. Do not do it. I'm saying that here. Uh, but I am a, an experienced rock hopper. Um, so so I went out there and I started fishing. I'm, oh, my God. Like the, the, the pollock at the front of that hotel, they were trying to pull me off the rocks. and They were snapping my line. So I was like hooking it 10, 15 pound pollock. But I caught a bunch of them and brought them back up. And then look. They're an amazing outfit down there, the Derrynan Hotel. And Martin's a friend, so he's an amazing chef. So he cooked up those uh, fish for us as well. Uh, but even aside from that, look, amazing food down there as well in Derrynan Hotel. So, yeah, that's definitely one of my happy places. And the outdoor pool is great as well. Exactly. I love it. So where where's your next spot then? Where would when we go? Well, I hate to rate places, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and Martin would probably kill me for saying this. But, like, literally... My number one happy spot in Ireland, and it's been my number one happy spot, is Dingle. So I've been going to Dingle for oh, 25 years. So, you know, it seems like in lockdown that everybody went to Dingle, right? So we all heard about everybody going to Dingle for some reason. And I was like, oh, God, why is everybody going to Dingle? I don't want everybody to go to Dingle because I've been going there for 25 years. So I'm almost like a local in Dingle at this stage. Like I know a whole bunch of the locals. Um you know, and Kearns would be my local bar when I go down there and I go into James down there, uh, Benji or Jimmy, some people call him. But anyway, I call him James. He owns the bar. So I go, to, I go into Kearns when I'm down there for points. Um, but more importantly, like my kids were basically reared, as they say, in the Skellig Hotel. And, you know, we've been going there literally since our daughter, our daughter's 13 now, but literally since she was born. We've been going there as a family. Now, I've been going there for 25 years, but as a family, we've been going there. So my kids' happy place in Ireland is Dingle as well. It's like, if I say to them, would you rather go to Spain for a holiday or we can go to Dingle for four days? They'll always go Dingle. Wow. Like they'll always say, and my wife as well. And so we go down to Dingle for two days. Sometimes we'll go, to, and it's a long journey just to do that, but that's just to show you it really is our happy place. Um. And like I've been swimming with Fungi for all those years until they obviously passed away or disappeared or whatever whatever happened to him, we don't know. But um, but it's just a perfect spot for me because, look, I will say it out loud. I still believe that the Skelly Hotel is the best family hotel in Ireland, bar none. Uh, the breakfast is amazing in there. Like I, I ne- nearly always have fish for my breakfast. So like sometimes you'll get like a hunk of salmon for your breakfast with eggs. Now, a hunk of salmon in a normal restaurant, you're going to pay... 20 euros if not 25 euros for just the salmon alone and you can get that for breakfast in the hotel 
or you can get a hake on another morning or whatever it is. So for me, it ticks all the boxes. It's got the kids club. My kids are too old for the kids club now, unfortunately, but uh, uh, they love the kids club in there. It's got the indoor swimming pool if the weather is bad. Food is superb. Pints of Guinness are fantastic. You got the long walk out to the head of the peninsula. Um, and then I can fish outside the back door. You can walk into town, go for pints in town. And there's just something about Dingle. Listen, if it wasn't so far away from, you know, where my where my friends are and my family are, which is predominantly Dublin, um, you know, I'd retire to Dingle. You know, that's how much I love it down there. Um, so, yeah, Dingle is definitely my happy, happy, happy place in Ireland, you know. Okay, and then, so outside of Ireland, where, you know, places that influenced you? Well, if you want to talk about somewhere that influenced me, it'd have to be L.A. because I've spent so much time there. Um, You know, I don't think anywhere could influence you just in two days of a visit, you know. I mean, I guess it can, but, uh, you know, for me, where it would have influenced me would be L.A. because I've been going to L.A., uh, like I'm 45 now. I mean, traveled to L.A. for business since my early 20s. So L.A. has influenced me greatly because that is the hub of the entertainment world full stop based in LA. So if you want to make it internationally, you've got to go to LA. So a lot of people don't like LA. Like a lot of people don't, they're expecting like, you know, a central part of LA, like Hollywood. We hear about Hollywood, right? But Hollywood is very spread out. Okay. So, um, you know, you can go to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but there's not really a whole lot there except some kind of knickknack shops and secondhand shops. And you know what I mean? So, uh, so a lot of people see that and they get a bit disappointed. But for me, like some years I've spent up to six months at a time in LA. So I made great friends. But here's the thing. I always say to people, what's not to love about LA? The food is amazing. And, and it's got, there's restaurants for all tastes there and all prices as well. So for example, you can eat vegan, vegetarian, sushi, meat lovers, something for everybody. But I love the people in LA. They're very interesting. Now I like strange people. I like quirky people. And LA is packed with strange, quirky people. But here's what it's also packed with is creatives. So that's how it's influenced me. So when I'm in LA, I'll hook up with other mentalists and magicians and artists and musicians. And for me, they all influence my mind, my thought process. And I absolutely love that. And then, of course, you've got the sea just 30 minutes away um, down on the coast where you can go surfing. You know, again, you can go fishing or swimming. So LA has influenced me greatly. And again, I think that's more from a creative standpoint because it's where I'm most understood, I think, as well. You know, sometimes people misunderstand you in Ireland or in the UK. Uh, they don't really know where you're coming from. Whereas out there, there's a great level of acceptance for who you are, what you do. Um, and people out there are really willing to help each other. Now, it is doggy dog as well. So there is the yin and the yang there. But you can find a tribe out there. And I found a tribe. Um, of people that I just really connected with. Uh, and I still am connected with them to this very day. Uh, and I've some, got some great friends in LA. Uh, and my kids have been privileged to have come out there uh, from time to time uh, when I've been working out there. And they've loved it as well. And, and Ray, my wife too, you know. You're a very positive person. You know, like, are you, you're quite American in a way in your attitude, aren't you? Maybe. Yeah, maybe it is American. I don't know. I, like, I remember years ago when I started traveling to LA, um, actually, sorry, I was in New York. I went to New York with my dad and my mum one time. I was young. I was probably 18. And, you know, I was walking into stores in New York. I was like, hi, can I help you, sir? And I was like, Jesus, what's going on here now? This is a bit odd. And I said it to my dad. I was like, God, it's so fake, all this, all this, hi, how are you? And he was like, well, wouldn't you rather that 
than walking into a store where they're ignoring you, being rude to you and not helping you. And I, was, and I thought about that and I was like, yeah, he's actually right. Even though there's a certain level of fakery to it. I was like, okay. So then um, when it comes to positivity, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm so traveled or maybe it's in my DNA and I get it from my dad or, or whatever. But like, you have a choice. You can live life from a negative mindset or you can live it from a positive mindset. And I know what people think, listen to this, they go, oh, that's easy for him to say. Actually, no, it's not easy at all. I've had some really horrible moments in my time, uh, which I've explained in the book. We won't bother going into it now. Um, so it's not easy for me to say that. But like even, I just read a book. I'm looking for it now. It's probably up on my bookshelf. But ultimately, I just read a book called The Choice by Edith Eager. And that's about a, a lady who was in Auschwitz and in Nazi concentration camps. And she even says, you have a choice. You're not constrained by your circumstances. You have a choice how to think in that moment. And she's still alive now. She's like 96 or something. And she's up on Instagram. Amazing, inspirational human being. And I look at people like that and go, wow, I have it easy towards that person over there. Why, why wouldn't I be positive? But I program myself that way. So it's not like I'm jumping up out of bed positive every day. I've got to program myself that way. And it's not like I don't have bad days. By Jesus, I have bad days. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But my bad days are far less than my good days. And that's was not what we would all should strive for is to ha- have our positive days way out, like way outweigh our negative days. And that comes down to how you program yourself, what habits you put in place, stack those habits up on top of each other and then live from a positive mindset, you know? Like I love that line you that I read from you. You said you're not born with positivity. Yeah. And it's actually a great idea if you say you're not born with it. In other words, because I think an awful lot of people think you have it or you don't. And if you say you're they're not wrong. born. Yeah, exactly. I agree. 100%. Yeah, they're wrong. Like they're wrong. It's as simple as that. You're not born with positivity. Yes, you got genetic makeup when you're born. And yes, you got DNA. Um, but ultimately, you're responsible. I, I don't think there's enough self-accountability going on right now. That's been straight with you. Like, there's a lot of people saying, isn't it great to talk about mental health and it's okay to not feel okay and all this kind of stuff. And that's okay. All right. So I'm not going to knock that. But what I will say is some people are then allowing themselves to be the victim. In other words, by hearing that, they're like, oh, it's okay to not feel okay. I don't feel okay. Well, I say the opposite. It's not okay to not feel okay. How about that for you? And people say to me, well, what do you mean? Like, isn't that, 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 no, that's terrible to say. No, it's not terrible. Understand clearly what I'm saying. Why would you not want to feel okay? Is it okay to not feel okay? No, it's not okay to not feel okay. You've got to figure out how to take control and self-accountability is key. So if you don't have the tools and techniques in order to be positive or to reduce your anxiety, find help and you have, have to be accountable to yourself to find that help. And if you find help that doesn't work, you got to go again and find help again. And then if that doesn't, you got to go again. So that's where I think the level of responsibility is dipped down a bit. I think people need to actually go, okay, you know what? Today is the day that I'm going to be accountable to myself and I'm going to find that help. Whether that's a self-help book or whether that's a mentor or whether that's going to your doctor or whether that's going to a psychologist, it doesn't matter what it is, but you've got to have that level of self-accountability. And that's what I feel. Uh, and like, sometimes we all need help and that's okay to reach out, but it's not okay to not feel okay all the time. You got to understand that. And, and I read a thing that you said, it's called neuroplasticity. Mm. And I love that idea that, you know, the, the brainwaves, that they're not fixed, that repetition or training, that we can change our actions. And that's a lovely, again, a lovely idea. 
isn't it? Oh, there's, there's, there's a famous saying. A lot of people have, like, I suppose it's infamous rather than famous, but nerves that wire together, fire together. And really, what you focus on, you become. You're not the same person yesterday that you are today, and you certainly won't be the same person tomorrow. You're creating new neural pathways every single moment of every single day. You've got 86 billion neurons in your brain. They're all working in different ways depending on what you're focusing on. Like, so if I pick up a Rubik's Cube and I'm focusing on a Rubik's Cube, I'm creating new neural pathways. If I'm sitting here watching a negative news feed, I'm firing up those negative neurons in my brain. So what do you choose to do? That's the choice you have to make. So neuroplasticity is key. And it's basically the concept that our minds are, are like plasticine or mala, as I used to call it back in the day. Yeah. But your mind is like plasticine and think of your mind like plasticine and what you feed your mind, it will become. Um, and that's so key, you know. Exactly. I do some work on emo- emotional intelligence and it's very similar yeah. because the idea is uh, emotions. If you name them, you tame them. And it isn't yeah. good or bad emotions. It's just being aware of them. So it's a very similar sort of area. Well, I say this, emotional intelligence trumps IQ day in, day out. So if you can control your emotions, like, I don't believe I have the highest IQ. Like, I've been tested. My, my IQ has been tested, not in years now, but I've, I've gotten it tested a couple of times. And I've got a, an average IQ. So, um, you know, a lot of the reason for my success, and I don't even consider myself that successful. I mean, I just, I'm doing my thing. I enjoy doing my thing. I hope other people enjoy it. Um, I don't mind the haters. They feed me, actually. I kind of like it. So, uh, but for me, like, to go back to it, I think a large part of my success comes from having that emotional intelligence. That's not to say it doesn't get overwhelming at times. Like, you know, there's been a few moments in my life where I've been close to the brink, but then I've pulled myself back and contained myself and managed to control that emotion. So, uh but I do feel that emotional intelligence trumps IQ day in, day out, right now especially, you know. When I was thinking about influence, I thought you might pick um, actually Las Vegas. Have you been there loads or has that been a big influence? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that, I mean, that's my fun place, right? So I've been to <laughs> Vegas dozens and dozens of times. And as a matter of fact, like I headlined in Vegas for a long time. So, yeah, I mean, look, me and my wife talk about now, like where's the first place we're going to go when the pandemic ends? And it's most likely going to be Vegas. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You love it. Yeah, like like right now, we love our family. We love our family time. But look, adults need their own time too, right? So uh, Vegas is one of those places that's just like a playground for adults. So I love shows, right? So uh, I'm massive into watching shows. So uh, for me, the best shows in the world are in Las Vegas. The Cirque du Soleil shows are phenomenal. They're amazing. Uh, There's amazing mentalists and magicians out there. the food, like again, if I go back to the food sometimes. Like the food in Vegas is unbelievable. Like you know, you, you get the best meals in the world in Las Vegas. I mean, strange to say that because I'm sure people would say, "Well, isn't it Saint Tropez or isn't it?" No, I mean, Vegas is amazing, spectacular food there as well. Um, and then look, I don't gamble, but I allow myself to gamble when I'm in Vegas. So I'll hit the blackjack tables with Maraid, but we'll literally just limit ourselves to like a hundred dollars each or something at the table. Um, and then you get free drinks when you're at, when you're at your table, which is always beneficial too, right? Um, and uh, and then you can take the helicopter trip to the Grand Canyon. So I have a great memory of doing that with my dad and Maraid. My mom wouldn't come; she was too scared of the, the helicopter. Um, but we, it was funny. So we, we took the helicopter ride to the Grand Canyon, and they land in the middle of the Grand Canyon, and then you have lunch. Uh, in the Grand Canyon, which is amazing. But then on the way back, the pilot put in put on the song from Top Gun, Welcome to the Danger Zone. Wow. But then he started doing all these mad maneuvers in this helicopter, right? 
And I'm not a nervous person, but I didn't like it, right? I'm going to be straight. I didn't like, he was going through all these like crevices and stuff. And Maraid was loving it. Me and my dad were like literally shitting a brick. We were like, oh my God, this is not good. So anyway, we got back and it was all fine. Uh, but then I kind of Googled it. Like there are like dozens and dozens of helicopter crashes in the Grand Canyon every year. And uh, and I was talking to somebody who knew uh, like the organizers of, of the, the helicopters and he was saying, oh yeah, like they're not supposed to do what they did to us. But anyway, look, we're here to tell the tale. It was fine. But yeah, look, I absolutely love Las Vegas and the hotel rooms are spectacular as well. Actually, weirdly, one of the really good hotel rooms that I had in Vegas was in a really old hotel. Um, so I've stayed in the majority of the hotels probably on the Strip, but actually Harris, Harris Hotel, Go which is one of the older ones, uh, we ended up now, this years ago, we went in and uh, and I just, you, I used the yes setting out of the book uh, to yes set the people behind the desk to give me an upgrade, but a, like a really good upgrade. So not just an upgrade that they would give people normally. And we ended up in this like gigantic uh, suite. And, uh, and I think it was just like, it wasn't the penthouse, but it was the one down from the penthouse. And uh, and like, this is a long time ago, but like there's mirrors on the ceiling and there was like a drop down screen that came out of the ceiling. So I was like, whoa, what the hell is this? So yeah, Vegas definitely would be well up there as well, you know. Are they watching you? So if you go play cards, are there are there like security standing around watching, going, "We have to keep this guy. We have to watch." Yeah, watch. <laughs> I mean, people laugh at that, but I'm actually in the book. So there's a book in Vegas that if you're in the book, it's not a good thing because that means they've got you somehow scanned into their system, and if they spot you coming into the casino, I mean, they'll just literally say, "We'd rather not have your company." So that happened to me in the Palms Hotel. Uh, where they came up to me. I was at a blackjack table. So yeah, I've got to try and get in and go unnoticed at the tables um, because generally speaking, they don't ask you for your ID at the tables. So unless they think you're underage. So for me, it's just like literally keeping the head down and walking through and, and hopefully that, because they, they, they are manned cameras. So you're relying on like, although there, there's artificial intelligence that helps them, it's generally speaking, actually security personnel who are looking out for people like me. So sometimes I can get away with it, but other times I must leave the casinos. You know, you said you're, you're into the outdoors and like you, you say embrace adventure is one of your first mantras yeah. so are you do you do those sort of holidays are you like an adventure holiday outdoors or anything like that or what? yeah like well with the kids i don't really have time to do adventure holidays because with them it's generally speaking just grab a sun holiday i do have it in my head though to do some crazy stuff hopefully next year to be honest with you i literally have had such crazy busy three weeks i haven't had a chance to sit down and literally google what i'm going to tell you i'm going to google which is wim hof workshop so I'm dying to do a Wim Hof workshop uh, in Amsterdam. So you, you climb mountains and stuff. Uh, so that would be an adventure style holiday. Uh, but it's not a holiday. It's a breathing workshop for three days. So breathing coupled with ice cold immersion, coupled with climbing mountains. So that is something that's on my on my to do list, if you like. Uh, so I'd love to do that. And look, I'd love to go skiing as well. I've never been skiing. Um, but again, when it comes to the crunch, we always end up down in Dingle. But you see, they're adventure holidays for us because when we go down there, like we don't just hang around Dingle either. I didn't say that to you. But like, you know, we'll go to Inch Beach almost every second day maybe and we'll go boogie boarding or surfing on Inch Beach. So they are adventure holidays in and of themselves. But then when I'm here, rather than going full day holidays, I tend to do like one day adventures with the kids. So, you know, we did that um, zip line stuff up in to Braddon Woods recently, which was amazing. 
um, very high, I might add, and very difficult climbing and stuff. Um, and then I bring them, uh, you know, mountain biking in woods and off-road mountain biking and stuff like that. So we tend to do the one-day adventures here. And then when we go away on a holiday, we kind of want to relax because I'm on the go all the time. And here we are adventurous too. Um, so we haven't done an adventure-style holiday just yet. If you go to relax, like you, where would you go abroad then? Where's your spot? Is it Spain? Well, again, so, so my kids have been reared in Dingle, but also they have been reared in one other place, which is... Princess Yoyes and Lanzarote. So, look, people go, oh, the Canary Islands, whatever. But, like, here's the thing. It just ticks all the boxes for for a family with kids. I'm very specific with what I need, though. I have to have a hotel on the beach because I don't particularly like swimming in swim pools. So I'd rather be in the sea. Uh, so it has to be on the beach. And it just has to have a couple of good restaurants nearby. So we've gone there for years. And weirdly, just speaking to the kids, you know, I was thinking, and they've been to like Miami and stuff, and they've been to, so they're very well traveled, you know. Um, and I said, look, when this whole thing opens back up and when we can travel and, and we can travel easily, uh, you know, would you like to go to, my, if we're going abroad, would you like to go to Miami or would you like to go to LA? And like, we had outgrown Princess Oyeza. Like, we decided we weren't going there anymore. But now that the pandemic has hit, we're all thinking we're going back there because we know what we're getting, we know what we like. We know there's not, not going to be any issues. So uh, so that's been amazing. And it's, But it's a very quiet part of Lanzarote. It's in Playa Blanca. Uh, so it's very relaxed. Like the, there's no real nightlife per se uh, over there. Uh, so it's just families uh, just chilling out on the beach uh, and literally just unwind, I think, really. So that's a, been a place that we've gone to again since the kids are born, you know. You, you know you were involved with that movie, Now You See It. Hmm. Did you go, so that was based Paris, New Orleans. Did you get to go yeah. to New Orleans or? Yeah, so now you see me. Yeah, so New Orleans, I went to New Orleans. But the problem is with this kind of stuff, you're on set. I mean, people don't realize when you're on set, like they are fully 18 hours a day. So um, so I didn't get to see much of New Orleans. I was there, but I didn't get, okay. I didn't get to experience it. Um, and the same with even Paris. I was in Paris for now you see me. I didn't get to see any of Paris there. I mean, I suppose if I was to jump onto one other place that I've only been to once, but had a great impact on me, um, was Dubrovnik. So I went to Dubrovnik once, and I found that fascinating. Uh, I really, really liked Dubrovnik. Um, again, crystal clear water, so I, I love that. But I couldn't believe just the, the the stone walls were just amazing in Dubrovnik. And just, uh, like, the people are fascinating and... You know, just, I mean, it is a bit touristy. I will say that. Um, but just, you know, Game of Thrones, a lot of that was shot there. So people are into that. Um, uh, so I really love Dubrovnik. And I did get to see a huge amount of it. But I keep thinking I want to go back there. Um, and then one final place that has a special place in my heart is Barcelona, actually. Love Barcelona. Uh, but it's for a very specific reason. So, uh, I mean, first of all, I just love the architecture in Barcelona. And I'm not into architecture now, right? So I'll be honest with you there. But I love the architecture in Barcelona. It's actually really fascinating, right? Um, the Gaudi architecture, is it? All or? the Gaudi yeah. stuff. Yeah, we did a full Gaudi tour when we were there the last time. And I'm, I'm telling you now, I'm not very cultural when it comes to going to museums and stuff, right? So I'll go to a museum if I'm dragged to a museum. And I just don't get it, right? So I'm not very good like that. So I'll pretend I'm interested, but I'm generally speaking not very interested. You know what I mean? So, uh, uh, so when Maraid said to me, "Let's take this Gaudi tour," I was like, "Ugh, whatever." But my God, I mean, that opened up my eyes to architecture. Like 
the stuff that I saw was just, it blew my mind how brilliant this guy was and how brilliant this architecture was. So I found that amazing. And, and it's something that I want to go and revisit again. Now that I'm a bit older, I actually want to do it again and, and pay more attention and feed my brain more. Um, but then what I love about Barcelona, Barcelona is I love studying the pickpockets. So anybody who's been to Barcelona will know or they'll tell you, yeah, you have to warn before you go. Like it's famous for pickpockets. And I'm, I'm just uh, finished working with a guy actually who lived there for, through the pandemic. He's Irish, he lived there. Uh, but he said it's gone really, really, really bad now in Barcelona for pickpockets. It's gone even worse than it ever was. But they also play the three-card Monty on La Rambla, so the three-shell game or the three-card Monty, which is a gambling game. But people don't understand there's a whole system behind that game. So like, I'm watching out for the shill, the ringer, the pickpocket. So when you see one guy standing there throwing three cards around, most people do, don't realize there's actually a team of about eight or ten people helping him. Uh, secretly so like there's one person betting and they're losing their money to him so that's to pull people in pull the tourists in and people don't realize that that person who's losing money is actually part of the team and then you get the watcher who's watching out for the cops to come along and then you've got like so, and the pickpockets so i love to i love to go there i mean i love it and um sometimes i'll hang a, a, a like a wallet an empty wallet from my back pocket and I'll let them come for me because I'm studying them and I'm watching them and how they're going to pickpocket me and stuff like that. Ray gives out to me for doing stuff like that in case like it ends up being weird, but I love it. So, um, so yeah, Barcelona. And, and I think the other reason for Barcelona, it's probably one of the first places I ever traveled to outside of Ireland, besides America, uh, like within Europe. So I love Barcelona. I love, and I love, I love the Spanish way as well. So I love the, like the tapas and all that kind of stuff. The little tapas bars that are in Barcelona. And I've been to a lot. I've been to a lot of different parts of Spain, but for some reason, Barcelona has a calling for me. So yeah, dying to get back there. Excellent. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I'd have to say, I love your book. It's brilliant. And I chose the more, you know, the, the scientist in you. I think so. I think a lot of people yeah, are yeah. going to get a lot out of it. Actually. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, look. Um, so far, the reviews have been very nice and kind, and uh, you know it's written in such a way that I hope the lay person can read it and understand it, as opposed to you know I could sit here and talk to you day in day out about cortisol, stress hormones, the amygdala, but that's no use to people. So I tried to distill it down into a simplified version of the techniques that I use, in the hope that it can can help people. And uh, and touch wood, it seems seems to be going well. You know, just want to finish up on this, but I, I read a kind of. You were given a couple of tips, which I really like, like, as I said, brace adventure, take risks, follow your gut, program your mind and body for greatness. I loved all those. And there was one that said, grow your own vegetables. So that's what I want to ask you. Do you grow your own vegetables? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's actually good. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if people are surprised at that. Like, I, I have <laughs> so many passions. It's unbelievable. So um, I have a very small back garden. No one has any excuse for not growing their own vegetables, right? Now, that doesn't mean you're going to feed yourself all year long. That's, you, you can't unless you have a big, big plot. But I've got two vegetable uh, uh, risers, plots, whatever you want to call them. Um, they're about, I'm going to say, probably five foot by five foot, the two of them. Um, but then other than that, like I don't have any other room in my back garden except in containers. So I've got containers, I'm looking at two here. I've got containers hanging off of my, um, well, here, why don't they bring you over and show you? I got containers hanging off my um, my shore. So I don't know if you're going to be able to see this or not, but see those pink yeah. things there? Yeah. And so see that one there? That, that's a big container there. So I grew all my carrots in that container there. That's quite a big container. Then there, 
just above my finger there. That's another container there. And then the other side of my garden, I've got my uh, bags for my potatoes. Um, so yeah, I grow, I grow a lot of stuff. So I grow like um, uh, rhubarb, potatoes, raspberries, apples, uh, strawberries, broccoli, loads of different bags and uh, mixed salad. Um, so yeah, I grow tons of stuff during the summer. I will admit though, I was defeated this year by the caterpillars and the slopes. They won this year because I tried to I tried to grow organically. Um, it's a battle growing organically, unless I suppose if you're an expert. So next year, I don't know. The slug pellets could be going down unless somebody listens to this podcast and DMs me and, and gives me an exact solution. But I've and I want everybody to know I've tried the beer traps, I've tried the eggshells. I've tried all the organic ways and it hasn't worked. And and with the amount of time that I've put in, I mean, right now, um, because it's winter, I actually went to the seaside the other day. I mean, this is how crazy I am about this stuff. I went to the seaside the other day and because Vinny, my mate down in Derry Nan, told me to do this, I brought back two bags of seaweed, uh, put it in the garden, then I put the lawnmower over it um, to chop it up nice and small. And that's now spread all over my vegetable patches to, um, to rot down during the, the winter period to feed the soil in the hope that I get better produce next year. So yes, I grow loads of my own vegetables. <laughs> so my last question I ask everyone, you've kind of answered this, but I, I just, I ask everyone. So it's, if you close your eyes and take four deep breaths, where is your happy place and why? And it can be anything. Yeah. Dingle. I mean, just, and I know exactly where it is. It's out on, on the balcony of the, the room that we stay in in Dingle and just looking out over the bay in Dingle and just brings me peace of mind. Uh, I think of nothing when I'm there. My brain empties out and yeah, it just fills my soul. I would ask if you could please subscribe to Apple Podcast so a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast. To find out who's on every Tuesday, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Fergal.